The interchange is supported by Wonder Capital, an industry-leading platform for financing solar projects. Wonder Capital is now America's top financier of commercial solar. Need investment for your project? Want to invest in projects with returns up to 7.5% annually? Go to wondercapital.com slash gtm. That's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com slash gtm. We're also brought to you by Shoals Technologies Group. Project costs are coming down, but it's not magic. It's because the equipment is getting better and less expensive. Shoals is at the leading edge of balance of systems tech. And if you want the best performing project you can build, get your equipment from Shoals. That's S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, GTM's editor-in-chief. Welcome to the show. Shilkan is traveling, so it's just me this week. And coming up, I'm going to be joined by Joe Amador, an expert on the built environment. In this episode, we're going to dig into a very complicated and slow-moving, but extremely important market, energy smart buildings. I do see that we are making progress, but... I think the progress is generally happening slower than we would like and maybe slower than, than we are predicting. Uh, but I would also say that the expectations of what a smart building actually is continue to change. So this space gets called a lot of different names. The enterprise smart grid, building energy management, smart buildings, building automation. Each of those labels comes with its own separate categories and subcategories of vendors and markets. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're calling it all the smart building space. Now, efficiency is a big piece, but it's only one piece. When we talk about smart buildings, we're referring to the automation of nearly everything to improve occupant comfort and health, make better use of equipment, and turn buildings into active participants on the grid. Over the last two years, large multinational energy firms have dumped billions of dollars into the space, acquiring companies in smart lighting, demand response, battery storage, energy billing, microgrids, smart controls, and software in order to create the buildings of the future. But there's no one-size-fits-all approach to the built environment. Creating a scalable business that serves the diverse needs of building owners is very tough. And that's where Joe Amador and I start our conversation this week. So are buildings smart yet? Where are we at? Yeah, our bu- buildings are, are smarter, but there's a number, there, there remain a number of just structural barriers to making buildings smart in the way that we think of our homes being smart, or even in the way that we think of equipment in our, you know, devices we use being smart. So if you look at phones, the age of the flip phone to the smartphone, the smartphone is far smarter. And, and buildings, I don't think we've seen nearly that level of, of acceleration or just technology uh, adoption, you could say. And those the structural barriers, one, it's just a much more complex uh, life cycle of how buildings work and how they are designed from architects, engineers. And I've looked at the value chain. I've done projects helping companies understand that value chain. And it's just a very complicated space. It, it's not that uh, when you're buying a device or a computer, there's not the value chain is not that complicated for actual consumer purchases. You, you find something you like, you buy it, you use it. Whereas with buildings, the way the building has been designed, the general contractor, and then all of the mechanical contractors, uh, or all the contractors, which include a mechanical contractor, there's so many of them, by the time it actually gets to occupancy, there's a lot of systems in the space that it's too expensive to replace them, but they dictate how smart or not smart that building is. Many of the solutions that we've seen that are smart building solutions adapt what's currently in that space and try to make it smarter. 
and, and there's some limitations there. There's there's certainly good solutions out there that, that can can create create some value, make the building smarter. But I would also say the last point, uh, the idea of being a smart building, there's so many different forms that can take. Different companies have different views. So maybe a smart building is a very energy efficient, efficient building. We do have, have a lot of energy efficient buildings, but there's also something to be said for using that space more, more smartly. So identifying where there's no one in the building, identifying where on a regular basis no one is, is, being, is using that building, uh, enabling that company to repurpose that space, enabling a company to shrink their their util, their their space and rent some of it out, sublet some of it out. Uh, those things we're only seeing happen. Uh, and then you could also argue with uh, you know the rise of workplace as a service. So just you know not even entering into a lease, but going to uh, a firm that just provides that office space. Those spaces do have some smarts in them, but what you're getting as the building occupant is not necessarily a visibly smarter experience uh, but some of that technology enables it to be just a better experience in that costs less money you get some more flexibility that you otherwise wouldn't have had what's become more clear is that energy efficiency seems to be a side benefit to automation and that there are all these other benefits right, right. to you know improving um, the, the functionality of buildings and that's similar to what we saw in the residential sector so how's that changing the way companies are structuring building automation offerings? The uh, I, the traditional building automation system providers are are in general uh, using open protocols. That's not something so new. So BACnet is is the preeminent protocol for communicating within a building, the mechanical systems within within the building. It's more than mechanical systems, but but BACnet continues to to gain in in adoption, and, and it, it's becoming. I think generally more of an expectation that enables at least easier connectivity between buildings. One challenge you have is many building owners have multiple buildings, but they've acquired them in different ways at different times. The actual systems in place may be very disparate. Uh, you may have four different building automation system vendors. So you're certainly seeing uh, solutions offered by building automation system providers and just by, by new entrants, by startups that enable you as a building owner to pull all of those data together. So you're able to at least have a, a, a starting point that isn't, well, I have to go to five different places to change the temperature in five, five of my buildings. Um, so so the, in those offerings in some cases are, are not software, they're, it's more of a service where you're actually integrating a, a, a variety of systems. I'm seeing more and more of that. Uh, I would say I'm also seeing more companies that are trying to go beyond just providing both data about the building operations and uh, the ability to make changes. The next step is providing some insight, providing recommendations, providing some analytics around where are their problem spots, where might I have some inefficiencies. And those inefficiencies may be energy or they may be, you know, your, your, you have equipment that is cycling and it's just the runtime of, of that air handling unit, let's say, is very high and it doesn't need to be that high. Or, and, and by being high, that means you'll have to change filters more often, you'll have to repair it more often. Uh, so there's a cost or there are multiple costs there. So the offerings certainly are becoming broader and more technology enabled, but some of the core challenges are, are that many buildings don't necessarily buy the building automation system as a standalone 
expense. Uh, they're, they're specking out an HVAC system. They're specking out uh, a variety of other critical systems for the building. And the HVAC system includes a building automation system. There's also a problem with facilities managers being skeptical about new technologies. Right. And they're not necessarily thinking about system optimization in the same way you're defining it. Right. And the, the, the facility managers are typically being asked to deliver a comfortable environment first. So that means people are not calling in saying, I'm really hot, I'm really cold. And, and if they are, it's not happening, happening on a regular basis. So that's usually job one for a facility engineer, facility manager. Job two is typically to ensure that the systems are in working order. Now, working order doesn't necessarily mean operating at tip-top condition. It just means you're not going to have an air handler go down on the hottest day of the summer and it takes eight hours to fix it because that that would just be a red flag. So they're, they're in general, trying to avoid risks net, rather than trying to you know, see net improvements. So uh, if, if you can avoid temperature problems, if you can avoid systems going down, break, and if something goes down, there's the occupant comfort issue, but there's also just the cost issue, right? It can cost a lot of money to replace any of the critical HVAC systems. So it's not necessarily that they've, they must do that because that's what they care about and what they think is important, but in many cases, that's how their job has been defined. Um, by keeping people happy, you're avoiding the risk. There's also been research you know, uh, that people in general want to avoid risks rather than maximize gains. Yeah, it's just kind of in some ways human nature. The other challenge, though, with the facility management profession is that there's many people in facilities management that have been doing the job for decades. There's um, there was a study by IFMA and RICS, which is a, a group, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. Their membership, uh, they were looking at just the changing job function of a facility manager. And, and their membership, there's more people over 70 than under 30 in, in RICS, in the group. Uh, and you could think about that being pretty amazing in that, most people are retired by the time they're, they're 70. And if you're 30, you may have 10 years of working. So one, there's not a lot of new um, uh, you know, young talent entering facility management, but you also have a, a lot of people who've just, just been doing the job for such a long time that the idea of data-driven technology to inform them, you know, don't use a schedule, use the condition of the systems to, to plan your day. It's just a different concept and it's harder to, to, to see that adoption. So literally everything you just outlined, a calcified risk-averse industry filled with, you know, people over retirement age is, it's a microcosm of the utility industry. So it, it, it I mean, you're dealing with the exact set of parameters and problems that companies selling software and distribution automation and right. all kinds of distributed energy technologies in the utility space are facing. Right. I think that, that there are a lot of similarities. Uh, in, in some ways, the utility space you, you have a core set of large utilities that at least give you a good target list as an innovator to say, here's who I want to go after. You do have that to some degree in buildings, but I think that list is far longer. You have the Fortune 500. You have a lot of companies beyond the Fortune 500 that, that are realistic buyers of, of smart building software. And then you have a whole host of maybe privately owned, family owned commercial real estate firms. And that can make uh, the challenge on the utility side is getting getting a deal from the pilot to the actual we are working with this utility can take years. It may not take as long uh, in the building for smart building technology, but you may 
look at each of those individual deals and say, well, it wasn't really big enough to be transformational. Whereas if you're a small company of five people, you have a great idea, you've piloted with five utilities, one or two of them signing a three-year contract with you, that may get you your next funding round. Whereas for smart building, building vendors, I think they probably need more than one or two of those deals to really show to the investment community, we're, we're for real, we're here. Because they may be deploying at three large buildings in each case. It's just not, a, the scale isn't quite there. But, but the problems are very similar. So back in 2013, there was a taxonomy published by Groom Energy. I think this is the last year that they published it, and it showed 300 companies in the enterprise smart grid space, companies doing all sorts of interesting things in building automation, energy efficiency. And um, we haven't really seen any big breakout companies since then. Is the taxonomy the same? Is it different? Like, what, what, what kind of companies are exiting or entering, entering the industry, and are there any breakout companies? It's a good question. That taxonomy, which is still, you can find it very easily if you just type in Enterprise Smart Grid online. And we actually have it on our site, too. Yeah, and, and, and there, there hasn't been anything quite like that since then. That was, was useful in that it really provided some characterization, and uh, it, it, it helped people understand this very, very complex market. Now, I would argue there's still a lot of confusion in the market. Uh, part of that is because there continue to be new entrants. Typically in, in technology markets, as you see acquisitions, you, that's a sign of consolidation. We've seen a number, in, in, even the past six months to nine months, of acquisition activity where large companies are buying smaller, smaller smart buildings, innovators, and, and startups. But we're also seeing a lot of new entrants. I was at a conference two weeks ago, and there were smart building vendors that I had not heard of. And, and, you know, and not just one, there were a couple. And this is my industry, so I'm, I'm closely monitoring it. And the fact that there are new entrants even now tells me we really haven't reached that point of, of there being consolidation. Now, I think a lot of the companies on that uh, smart grid, enterprise smart grid list, there have been a number that have been acquired. There have been some that, that have, have, I think, gone out of business. There are others that are still around. What I would say is we haven't seen significant growth in the number of companies, though there's definitely been new companies. I think that had about 300 firms. There's probably four or 500 firms that you could classify in that same taxonomy today. And I, I would say that some of the categories have now separated or there are just new categories that have emerged. A good example, in 2013, if you were buying software to manage your buildings, it was likely energy management software that provided visibility, reporting, benchmarking, but it was generally taking data from a number of different sources and, and, and places and giving it to you in one place and giving you that single source of the truth, you could say. So by being able to view a variety of different buildings that otherwise were in different systems, by being able to view them together, you were able to identify some trends and, and take some action. Now what we're seeing is you can still do all of that, but there are companies that go a couple of levels beyond that from taking data out of a building automation system, actually processing it through algorithms to actually identify, you know, here's a problem, here's, here's a, a source of inefficiency, here's a case where uh, you actually have some, some, uh, some decline in performance over time, but it's such a small decline in performance that you probably wouldn't notice it just on a visual bar graph, line graph basis, but we actually can detect that. So, you know, that analytics, analytics is, is, a, is a difficult word for me to use because it is so general, but there are definitely companies that are taking data and doing more than just presenting it. And that was something that wasn't really covered in Groom. Uh, there are other cases 
though, that there are still companies that are just very much energy reporting solutions that would still be, that were in groom then in a bucket and are still in that bucket. And some of them are, are doing just fine. I think if, if you're able to carve a niche, find a beachhead, uh, you may not see spectacular growth, but you can see some growth and, and see a sustaining business. When GTM first started covering this space, it was really all about the building space and efficiency. We really wanted to talk about the energy component. And then we um, shifted more toward the power generation side. And in the last couple of years, um, the CNI reporting for us has focused on distributed energy resources, um, billing management, energy procurement. How has the software and building automation side started to overlap with that power generation energy management side? It, there has been some overlap. You could look at, uh, for example, Angie. Here's an example just to, to talk about you know some deals that I've seen in the market. Angie, which has now, well, they acquired Ecova, which was you know procurement, bill pay, probably the leader in, in bill pay. And, and by doing that energy management uh, solution provider, they actually bought a uh, I think from a firm, a six-branch mechanical contracting uh, firm. Uh, and I, each of the branches, they were in the Northeast, Pennsylvania, upstate New York. Each of the firms had a different name, but it was it, it, the acquisition was from Talon Energy, T-A-L-E-N. And so right there, you could look as an outside observer and say, that's a really odd move. They're buying mechanical contractors that that work almost exclusively with, exclusively within metro areas, but what they're doing is delivering building automation to buildings and ongoing service. And Angie, you know, as an, a large energy provider, really is maybe how you would classify them at, at the, the, the macro level, they see the building automation piece, I would assume, as being somewhat strategic and that they want to get into that. Or it's, a, it's an easy way for them to start learning about how can they uh, either you know, sell across or sell their current solutions down at that level. Uh, but but that, that's... That's one example of, of how these 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 spaces are, are starting to uh, converge to some degree, but at the same time, uh, there are still uh, you know some differences. I would say that if you look at an average corporation, there are individuals running the facilities, they're buying building automation solutions, technology services, uh, and then there are other individuals who might be focused on how do we generate more renewable energy? How do we, how, how does that fit corporate goals? How does that fit sustainability goals? How does that, that, you know, how does that, what does that do to our bottom line? I'm not sure that I see those things on a regular basis, really intersecting each other. There's another topic that I wanted to talk about, which is what mass building automation will do to jobs. You've got all these facilities managers, many right. of whom are at retirement age. You have this sweeping wave of automation coming for a lot of different industries. Is that going to kill off the building manager as we know it? I don't. My per perspective is that it won't kill off the job, but it will change the job significantly. I also think that the changes that you see to the job may actually attract more people to the job. Uh, there's a couple examples you know, the I, I've written about this in Green Tech Media. Uh, when ATMs were, were first were deployed in the '80s, uh, was really when they first started achieving scale. Everyone thought, "Oh, there's going to be far fewer bank tellers." You know, bank don't be a bank teller because there are ATMs now. And what ended up happening? Yes, there was mass adoption and mass deployment of ATMs. You actually didn't see that much of a change in 
bank tellers. Uh, and the reason for that was many banks were able to open more branches with fewer tellers because the ATMs enabled them to service in the aggregate more people per branch and it reduced the cost of running a branch so it made it more economically viable to deploy more branches or to build more branches so overall while you had fewer bank tellers per branch you had about the same number of bank tellers and i could see while that's not exactly what will happen in in, in the building automation space i think there's a lot of buildings right now that don't have a building automation system um, some of them commercial buildings, they might have rooftop units, which are large HVAC systems that heat and cool the air, and then thermostats, and you can just program the thermostats. And and that there is a light commercial or a light automation solution that could go on top of that, that would not necessarily eliminate jobs, because right now, the people who are, are, are typically changing that thermostat are not facility management professionals at all. They're store manager, assistant manager, just somebody who works there who's really hot or really cold. But what you don't get is any way of monitoring outside of that store what's happening. Uh, is, is there some sign that the HVAC system needs to be repaired? And the reason why you're hot is not because somebody mis, uh, you know, turned the thermostat, but actually because that system is not running at peak performance. You could argue that with an automated solution that is just a part of that thermostat plus rooftop unit, uh, you're then able to provide that data more widely. And there might be then a role for somebody who's a roving facility manager across a city with 20 branches of whatever retailer we, we want to talk about. And, and that individual now has a job because he or she can view on his, his or her phone what's wrong, get a prioritized list of what needs to be repaired. And you can actually quantify that at that cost of one FTE and a truck and gas, you're able to extend equipment life even if it's a year or two per rooftop unit, that's still significant. Uh, and, and I would say, just thinking about it in the back of my head, it's probably a, a pretty strong value proposition. So that's an example of where automation and technology might actually lead to some job increases, but it will also change the way you do your job. Because right now, in many cases, it's, it's rounds where you're actually walking through a building, you're walking uh, two individual pieces of equipment, you're, you're checking to see if they're working or not. And I think that 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 schedule-based maintenance is probably going to continue to go away and it'll be more of a condition-based maintenance, or you could even say data-based maintenance where the data is what's telling you what's wrong and what's not. But it's not going to be, you know, uh, some person in a back room with their sneakers up on the desk and headphones on, you know, not thinking about anything. This, this building manager, he or she is going to have to be pretty, pretty darn smart still. I think you'll still have to be smart. You'll still have to understand some of the basics, you know, how HVAC systems work, uh, basics of, you know, so, so having some engineering training, uh, will still be, be worthwhile. And I don't know that we're anywhere near the point where humans can be taken completely out of the equation. I remember when I was a kid, I think there was a 60 Minutes article about, uh, you know, these new tech jobs, and this was maybe mid-90s, um, and, and people who, they were basically just monitoring, it was you know, kind of the, the dawn of cloud computing, and there were people just monitoring uptime of servers. So the job was pretty much, keep your eye on this screen, but, and if something's wrong, you have to be trained and know how to react, but other than that, you can just play video games. And there was this idea of people, you know, the 60 Minutes article, I think it was 60 Minutes or another news magazine, but the idea was you're getting paid a huge amount of money to play video games. And I thought, wow, I want that kind of job. Um, I don't think we're at the point at all where you'll just be able to turn some levers and, oh, now the HVAC system is, is, is repaired. Uh, you know, it used to be broken. Um, you know, you're still going to need people to actually go and make, make changes and repairs. 
Yeah, I like this conversation because it gets you thinking deeply about what the messy transition actually looks like. It's very easy to say that robots are coming to take our jobs, that whole swaths of industries are going to get taken out. And, you know, in some places they will. Yep. But there are areas like building energy management or facilities management management generally that are going to be a lot more nuanced. And that's probably going to be the case in a lot of industrial environments where there are tons of jobs. I think so. I think what what I continue to think about in the ATM example is a good one is if you can reduce the costs of deploying something and automation can help you reduce those costs, you're growing the demand for it. So even if it used to be 100% human and now it's 50% human, 50% robot, if it's overall a lower cost point, that will expand demand. Right now, I think uh, the Commercial Building Energy Consumption Survey, which is published by EIA, which is the Energy Information Administration within Department of Energy, they have uh, uh, survey data on penetration of building automation systems. And and I think the last issue, it comes out every few years, 25, 30% of buildings have building automation systems. Now, when you look at the largest buildings over 100,000 square feet, over 500,000 square feet, huge penetration, much, much stronger. But there's still a lot of commercial buildings out there, some of them very small, that don't have building automation systems. Part of that is because it's really costly. It can be two and a half to $7 per square foot for a building automation system, not something that everyone can afford. If it was a lot cheaper, if there was perhaps even more value that could be delivered through that system, you still will have some humans that are doing the installation, that are doing some monitoring, that are doing some ongoing repair. That could create a lot of jobs. So let me loop it back around to the first question. Are we making progress? I do see that we are making progress, but I think the progress is generally happening slower than we would like and maybe slower than than we are predicting. Uh, But I would also say that the expectations of what a smart building actually is continue to change. So if we were sitting here having this conversation three or four years ago, we might have said buildings are getting smarter. We're reducing the total of the buildings that adopt smart building technology. We're seeing less energy consumed by those buildings. And, and that might have been the subject of the conversation. Now we could look at, at, at buildings and say, buildings are getting smarter because we're doing a better job of understanding how they're being utilized, at least the, the buildings that truly now are smart buildings. We're doing a better job understanding how they're utilized. We can track movement in those buildings. We can optimize spaces to fit how they're being used. We can find underutilized spaces. Uh, so the, 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 the smart building as a definition continues to grow as the technology advances. One reason why we aren't, I, I believe, that we're not seeing as much adoption is because in the time it takes for a building owner to decide, I want to invest in smart buildings, the actual definition or what's, what's possible out of a smart building changes. So it's not five years ago, three or five, three or five years ago, it was very focused on you can save a lot of energy. Now that's, you know, as, as we've said, icing on the cake to some degree, but there's a lot of other things you can do uh, in your building that that make it smarter, even from a personalization point of view, being able to, if you're in an open open workspace, you can put, you know, you, you soon will be able to say, I like, I like this type of desk, I like a lot of natural light, and it'll say, here are some open spaces that you can, uh, you can go use today. The technology is there to do that. Um, we haven't necessarily seen seen it implemented a lot, but that to me is a smart building where where you're getting feedback from the building or from a system within the building to help you find a place to work so that you can be as productive as you possibly can be. Joe Amador, one of the smartest guys I know on smart buildings. Thanks a lot. This was fun. Steven, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Joe Amador runs Amador Consulting. He has a long history in the building space 
and he's written a three-part series on the state of building energy management exclusively for members of GTM Squared. Are you not a Squared member yet? Well, for only $249 a year, you'll get access to all kinds of data and analysis that you can't get on GTM or anywhere else, including this recent series on buildings from Joe. Uh, We also just published a deep dive on the supply-demand outlook for battery materials, and we're launching a new series on the future of electric cars and mobility. Plus, we do occasional live roundtables with our team of journalists and plenty more. So go to greentechmedia.com slash squared to sign up. Thanks for being here this week. To all of you, subscribe to us everywhere you get your podcasts. Hit us up with a rating and review if you want to do more to support the show. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media.